13 to 19. And as you're turning there, let's uh, go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord, and we love your word, and we love your son. We pray, Lord, that uh, that your spirit will control this, this, this service, will control our hearts and our minds. And uh, we know, Lord, we're not worthy of your salvation, and we're also not worthy, Lord, to proclaim your perfect word. And so I pray, Lord, that... Uh, the people who are here right now, I pray that they, they're not wasting their time. They came to hear the word of God proclaimed, not the lies of man. If they want fake news, they can get that all week long. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would anoint me with your spirit. You'd cancel the man. And you'd enable me and empower me through your Holy Spirit to proclaim your word for your glory. I pray I would not lead anyone astray. And I pray I pray that we would be people of a contrite spirit who tremble at your word, love your word, cherish your word. But I pray, Lord, that you would anoint me to proclaim your truth. You'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to understand your truth, to accept your truth, and through the power of the Holy Spirit to apply this truth so that we could leave this building changed. And draw us closer to you, Lord, for your glory and through your power. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So as we've been looking at the basic Christian beliefs, we talked about the Trinity as Christians. We believe in the Trinity, that there's only one true God, but this one true God exists eternally as three equal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, we believe God's word. We take God at his word that God created the heavens and the earth, that we didn't evolve uh, from apes or from some pre-Adamic, uh, pre-human, subhuman forms. We were created by God uh, and for his glory. We believe the Bible in the originals is God's word without error, and we have accurate enough copies that we can be very confident that when we, when we study good translations of God's word, we are studying God's perfect word. Uh, we believe man is fallen and sinful and that we cannot save ourselves and that salvation is by God's grace alone. It is a free gift. It is something we cannot earn. And we accept God's saving grace through faith alone in Jesus alone. We don't trust in ourselves. We trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation. We believe in the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God the Son, God the second person of the Trinity, be become a man, and that he became a man through the virgin birth. He was born to a virgin named Mary. So God the Son became a man. He died on the cross for our sins. He took our punishment for us. There's no other way for us to be saved. God cannot forgive sin unless it's been paid for in full. And Jesus paid for our sin, took our punishment for us, died in our place when he died on the cross. We believe that he bodily rose from the dead on the third day to conquer death for us. Death is man's greatest enemy. If the tomb was not empty and if Jesus had not risen and appeared to others, then in the end, death wins. And so Jesus conquered the grave by rising from the dead. We talked uh, last week on the fact that Jesus will return to planet Earth. There's powerful people that want to own the Earth. You know, Jesus said, for what is the profit of man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? But that's exactly what many billionaires want to do. They want to gain the whole world and they think Jesus is irrelevant. You know, and I wish I could say, yeah, that's the way the world, the world thinks Jesus is irrelevant. Guess what? A large portion of the American church now is trying to make God relevant. What? We bought the lie that Jesus isn't relevant? You know, we, we, too often we, we try to pattern ourselves after the world, conform ourselves to the world in our attempt to find common ground 
with the world, we're becoming the world. The American church is almost indistinguishable from the world right now. We got to proclaim Jesus and we got to tell him, look, he's coming back. Okay? And uh, yes, Jesus is your, your friend. He loves you. He's your savior. Okay? But he's still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Some people need to understand, I don't care if your name is Bill Gates or Klaus Schwab or whatever. You're going to bend the knee someday. So don't, don't ever feel like, you know, oh, I'm just this little weak person that, and the world is just trampling down on me. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. King Jesus is going to return for us. You know, I'm telling you, we're going to look at the doctrine of the church right now. Okay? Our king is coming back. But with the doctrine of the church, uh, we're going to see really, you know, God, the word for church, ecclesia in the Greek, it just means a called out assembly. God has always had an assembly. He's always had people who called on the name of the Lord. So the Old Testament saints, they were of the assembly of God, the assembly of Yahweh. But at a particular point in time, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And so don't separate yourself too far from the Old Testament saints because we're going to get to know them when Jesus reigns on earth. Abraham's part of that assembly. Okay, don't draw too much of a separation between you and them. However, we are the assembly of Christ, which he has said he who is least in the kingdom of God is going to be greater than even John the Baptist. In other words, we're going to be permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit from the Feast of Pentecost on. And so, uh, but just keep that in mind, but the, the Greek word for church is ecclesia. It means a called out assembly. Now, the word church, the word ecclesia, so it's not a building. You know, it's a good thing that a church is not a building because we didn't have our own building for 33 years. And now the last year and a half, we've had this building. We didn't become a church. The church just got a building, okay? But as time went on, you, you, know, you go to my church, you go to our church, and when a, when a culture becomes more and more Christian, then the Christians prosper and the assemblies of believers prosper and they start building buildings and then they have church buildings and then all of a sudden we forgot that we are the church. Okay? So uh, the universal church is all true believers. The local church, that's the local assembly of professing believers. Okay? Let's, let's never forget that the people that are here right now, our church, okay, uh, is not the only true church. There, there are true, the universal church is all true believers. The reformers used to call it the invisible church because they don't visibly meet together. And then the visible church is when professing believers come together, okay? And, um, and so we'll talk about that. And uh, we'll talk about the church and Israel um, and uh, the church ordinances, church government, and things of that sort, and then what the characteristics of a healthy church uh, are. So ecclesia, the word means a called out assembly, and Jesus mentions it here that he's going, that the church was still future when Jesus was walking the earth in Acts chapter 16, starting with, from verses 13 through 19. The universal church is the assembly, called out assembly of all true believers. And so starting at verse 13, Matthew 16, verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood 
Man didn't reveal this to you. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, uh, where, where the spirits go that, uh, that don't trust in Jesus for salvation, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Jesus here is saying that the church, his assembly, his called out assembly was still future at this point. Now you had the, the, the temple priesthood, the Jewish rabbis, okay? You had Old Testament saints who were trusting in the Messiah, waiting for the Messiah to come. Some of them even believed Jesus was the Messiah, but Jesus was saying, I will build my church. I will build my assembly. So there has always been the church of God, true believers throughout the Old Testament times, but at a particular point, Jesus was going to have a special assembly of believers who are distinct from the Old Testament saints, okay, because we're going to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit permanently. The Holy Spirit would come upon people in the Old Testament, like Samson and and, and David and, and people of that sort, but the Holy Spirit didn't indwell them permanently, okay? Uh, and so we're distinct from the Old Testament saints, but we're still all part of the assembly of God, okay? And, uh, and so the universal church, all true uh, believers. Now, it's interesting that Jesus, I gave a message on this. This was, I think, the first message during the shutdown. I gave a message uh, on that where we go into in-depth why Jesus touched on this subject at Caesarea Philippi. Why introduce the idea that I'm going to build my church at Caesarea Philippi? And, um, and I've been to Caesarea Philippi, and I'm glad that I was there during the daytime because I would have probably freaked out at night. It is a creepy place, even in the daytime. It's at the base of Mount Hermon, and there's just jagged rocks. Hence, Jesus talks about, upon this rock, I'll build my church. You know, he's using the background as kind of an illustration or a PowerPoint of what he's talking about. But there's a cave there in swampy water, and they don't even know how deep the water goes inside the cave. And that was considered the gates of Hades with the false god Pan. Um who uh, sometimes de depicted as a goat or with horns on and a forked tail uh, or a pointed tail and things of that sort. So we, the early church said the, the false god Pan, the god of the, the, the netherworld, that's a lot like Satan. So they kind of took the depiction of Pan and kind of combined the two. But that's where Pan was worshipped. Jesus went to the most demonic place he could possibly go to announce that he was going to build his church. So when you, when you look in the mirror, don't listen to Satan. When you, when you look in the mirror and you think, you know, man, I'm just one weak, irrelevant person. No, you're a warrior in the most powerful army the world has ever seen, okay? You are the assembly of Christ, the called out assembly of Christ. He's declaring war. He's saying the gates of Hades shall not prevail uh, against his church. But he tells Peter, you are Peter. Peter means rock, and upon this rock, I'll build my church. Um, our Roman Catholic friends, they think, Peter is the, made there the infallible leader of the church, okay? Some Protestants say, well, maybe Peter was the leader of the church because he was the oldest of the apostles, but he's not infallible. And Peter wasn't infallible. Paul corrects him. Paul mentions that later on in the book of Galatians. In Antioch, Assyria, he, he corrected him. Um, others would say the rock upon which the church is built is the acknowledgement that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Okay, but whatever the case, the authority that God gives to Peter here in other passages, he gives it to all the apostles. 
And we see that the church has this authority, the keys of the kingdom. We actually open up the gates of heaven for people by proclaiming the gospel message. And when they accept it, they can be ushered into God's kingdom. And that the power of binding and loosing uh, is also used in the context of Matthew 18, context of the church and church discipline. But we pray, and if two or three come together in agreement, we may have to, you know, excommunicate somebody if they're living in willful, habitual sin. But binding and loosing, when people come to Christ for salvation, their sins are forgiven. When people reject salvation, their sin remains. Up to that point, it was kind of like, if I got a sin problem, I got to go to the temple and offer animal sacrifices and this and that. Jesus is saying, I'm doing a new thing. And it's my church. And through the proclamation of the gospel and the work that I do through my church, people will be bound or loosed because I have given you the keys to the kingdom. And, uh, and so the universal church is all true believers. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians tells us a lot about the church, this assembly that, you know, it actually was started on the Feast of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when uh, the, promised, the promise of the Holy Spirit came about and baptized the church on the Feast of Pentecost. But in Ephesians chapter 2, no, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, and he, that's God the Father, put all things under his, that's God the Son, under Jesus' feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And uh, so we see that Jesus is the head of the church. Not Governor Inslee, not, not Donald Trump when he was president, not Joe Biden, not Anthony Fauci. Jesus is the head of the church. We take our marching orders from Jesus. Now, we'll take good advice from the government if it's got some good advice to give us. You know, but once, once we start seeing hey, that advice isn't as good as I thought it was, then as a pastor, the pastoral staff here, what do we got to do? We got to go to Jesus. He's the head of the church, okay? And, um, and so Jesus is the head of the church. Um, and uh, the church is his body. We're the body of Christ. You know, Jesus right now, bodily, Jesus, is, he's God. He didn't cease to be God. Jesus is here right now. He's, he's omnipresent spiritually. But physically, he's in one location. He's at the Father's right hand in heaven. It, this freaks me out. But if Jesus wants to, rush, wants to reach out and touch somebody, if Jesus literally wants to give somebody a physical hug or a physical shoulder to cry on, he can do that right now, but he, he chooses to do it through us. You know, this kind of statement is kind of a corny statement, but some corny statements are true, that you might be the only Jesus some people will ever see. I pray, Lord Jesus, I have some days, you know, they call me Doc, or I teach at the high school, but some days I'm a different dwarf. I'm grumpy, okay? And, uh, and I pray, Lord, don't. If I bump into a, a stranger who's looking for you, don't have me. No, don't let it be one of those grumpy days, okay? When you wake up in the morning, well, when you go to sleep at night, you get rest. Why? So you can wake up in the morning and serve Jesus. We serve a king, and his name is Jesus. Okay? We respect authority. You know, God instituted human government and all. We respect our bosses. You know, we don't want to lose our jobs and this and that. But um, we, we only got one infinite boss. His name is King Jesus. So anybody else tells us to do something that contradicts King Jesus, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And, um, 
So uh, well, we're the body of Christ. Jesus is feeding hungry people right now. He's doing it through ministries like Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham. You know, and the Viditos help us to set up and get the shoe boxes out. And the Samaritan Purse, they work, they work all year, not just on Christmas. So Jesus is still feeding hungry people right now. He's still healing people. I mean, Franklin Graham, when COVID came out and the government said how bad it was going to be, they went into Central Park and set up millions of dollars worth of tent hospitals. But the politicians over there in New York are on the left and they didn't want to give them any credit, so they never used them. But God's people are, God's people are here. You know, he didn't leave us orphans. He gave us the Holy Spirit and he's coming back. But he also didn't leave the world without his presence. We're, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, but also our churches are temples of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and we've got to allow God to do his work in our lives. Look at Ephesians 5.23. Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So again, the church is the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. We take our marching orders from Jesus. So I don't care who you are or how powerful you think you are, if your marching or if the marching orders you're giving me contradict King Jesus, Jesus is the head of the church, okay? And, uh, and he is the savior of the body. Uh, we are the body of Christ. Look a little further down, verses 31 and 32. Paul's talking about marriage. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great ministry, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So it's like marriage is a beautiful thing. Marriage is a very important thing. But in the end, marriage is a metaphor for the relationship between Christ and the church. So when you see a good, holy, godly marriage, that should show how the church should submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see how Christ loves the church. When a church is, when a marriage is messed up, that really sends the wrong message. But the church is the body of Christ. The church is also the bride of Christ, okay? And, um, and then Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. He's talking to Gentiles, non-Jews, but fellow citizens with the saints, the set-apart ones, and members of the household of God. So in other words, he's saying Gentiles are going to join believing Jews in the body of Christ. They don't, Gentiles don't have to convert to Judaism and get circumcised to then become Christians. Gentiles, just as they are, if they turn to Jesus, become part of one body with the Jews uh, of the early church and the Jews of the church today. Having been built, so the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And they're not only Old Testament prophets, but they're New Testament prophets that God used to, to write the New Testament with the apostles Having been built, so the church is the household of God. It's been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, the most important stone in that foundation, okay? So with all the debates about the rock upon which the church is built, the ultimate foundation, King Jesus. And then the apostles and prophets are part of that foundation because they proclaim the teachings of King Jesus in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are, are being built together for a dwelling place of God 
in the spirit. You know, the Jewish temple was destroyed in 70 AD, but God has not left this world without a temple. That temple is the church. In fact, he's left, left the world with lots of temples because our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. For 1 Corinthians 3.16, the local church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19, uh, the individual Christians, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus instituted the church. You know, in the universal church, all true believers. I, I like, you know, I, I started the Institute of Biblical Defense years ago. Right now I'm the president of the International Society of Christian Apologetics. Um, there's lots of ministries that are parachurch ministries, but I think they stand or fall based upon how well they help the church do its work. I think Franklin Graham founded Samaritan's Purse and then inherited the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, he would agree. Yeah, we're only effective as we help the church. Why? Because, you know, uh, when I started Institute of Biblical Defense, that was my idea. Now, I hope God gave me that idea, okay? But one thing I do know, the church is Jesus' idea, okay? So, um, so we've got to uh, understand that Jesus instituted the church. So keep in mind now, there are a lot of Christian leaders like myself who criticize the American church. So please understand, when you see that, 99 out of 100 times, the Christian leader who is slamming and criticizing the American church is not slamming the church because it's the church because Jesus instituted the church. We're slamming the church because it's not the church. We're slamming the church because it's not doing what Jesus called it to do. Okay? Um, we've got a big portion of the church in America. It's all about just numbers. Numbers and money, bring in more people, make more money. Don't get me wrong. I think, I think you know, God's going to have a talk with me. Jesus is going to have a talk with me when I get to heaven and probably says, hey, you know, if you weren't so lazy and you allowed my spirit to work through you a little bit more, you would have had a bigger church. There would have been more people you brought in. So I'm not saying small churches, that's God's will. Uh, but what I'm saying is you should never, a church should never take more people than it can effectively disciple. And there are a lot of churches that are really good evangelistic associations, evangelistic ministries. They lead people to Christ. But somebody can go to those churches for 40 years and still show up church on Sunday wearing spiritual diapers. Okay? We're going to see the mission of the church is not to make baby Christians. That's just the beginning. The mission of the church is to produce mature Christians. It's quality discipleship, not quantity evangelism, okay? You, you might, you know, you might think, well, I wish God gave me a ministry and all, and, you know, and every time you get a little family reunion, everybody's asking you Bible questions, and you're answering them, and, oh, I wish God would give me a ministry, and then you just, you just work hard at work, but there's a couple guys that come to you for spiritual counseling, biblical counseling, and you're helping, uh, you meet once a month with uh, one or two guys from work and you go over a Bible study with them and teaching them through the Gospel of John. Gee, I wish God gave me a ministry. You know how powerful that is? Do you know if each Christian had that kind of a ministry where they were the spiritual shepherd of their biological family, their biological extended family? And how much power there is to take a couple guys, go out to breakfast with them once a week or once a month and teach them through the Bible and be there for guys on the, and gals on the work site that need spiritual advice. That's a powerful ministry. Now, it doesn't look real big. I, I'll tell you, I went to a church where the pastor preached the word of God. I went to this big church in New Mexico. And um, do we really need smoke? And flashing lights for the praise and worship, um, you know. So I mean, it was just like, 
you know, we barely, my wife and I, she was getting a headache, we barely lasted through it. It was all celebrity and 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 just uh, uh, trying to look like rock stars or something. Good thing was, was when the, the preacher is probably older than me, so he's still a young guy, but um, when he got up behind the pulpit, uh, he was still preaching the word of God like his old pastor, his old mentor used to teach him. His old mentor was Chuck Smith, founded the Calvary Chapels. So I was glad to see that, but I'm not too sure about the future there. And, uh, but, uh, uh, now we're not here to entertain. If you came here to be entertained, you know, you're probably going to go home and say, man, I wasted my Sunday. Um, my job to preach the word of God. And I don't know if you're like me, I don't know where you are in your walk. If you're like me, I tremble at God's word. I get convicted by God's word. Because God's word is perfect. I fall a little short of that. No, a little bit more. No. You know, and I, I, when I'm studying the word, when I start to study the word, I know enough theology. I had Bible college and seminary training, so I know, okay, I'm not here. But when I pick up my Bible, I think I'm probably here. And then I start studying it. And so, no, no, okay, it's here. And, oh, Lord, why did you even save me? You know? So it's actually, it's, it's my job to just proclaim God's word and it's God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's that, that job is to convict you and to convict me. Um, but uh, Jesus is the head of the church. He instituted the church. The church is his idea, okay? And, um, and so we need to pray for the church, but we don't play games with Jesus, so Jesus is the head of the church. The church is the body of Christ. We've got to take that more seriously. We're the bride of Christ. You know, I, I, I sometimes I counsel uh, husbands who've told me, uh, yeah, was, my marriage is messed up. I said, well, well, what's wrong with it? My wife won't, won't submit to me. So you loving her like Christ loved the church? Which, by the way, if any guy tells me the yes, I'm going to say, you're a liar. you lying. Uh, they, there, I've met Christian ladies who submit to their husband. I've never met a guy who loves his wife as much as Christ loves the church. But I've had guys tell me, I say, you love your wife as Christ loves the church? And I say, well, uh, I, can't, I can't do that because she won't submit to me. And I ask him, when was the last time the church submitted to Christ? Does Christ still love the church? Yeah. And... Uh, but we're the bride of Christ. Let's be fa let's be a faithful bride. Faithful to the Lord Jesus. Faithful to one another. You know, we're, you know, I'm telling you, I, I left like 200 Portuguese and about 150 Italians when, when I decided not to go back to New Jersey after I got out of the Marine Corps. And of course, meeting the bride up here, it's like, gee, do I really want to take her back to Jersey and she's going to, you know, there's people there that are mean in your face, loud, obnoxious. And then there's other people besides my family members. So, um, and so sometimes, you know, I, you know, I would see my dad once every two or three years until he died. And, uh, and I feel like, wow, I gave up so much. But then I look at my family here, my spiritual family. I look at my family at Cross Point where I teach, my spiritual family. I, have, I actually have a bigger family now than I had back there in Jersey. It was a spiritual family. We got we to do a better job loving each other. Okay. We're family. You might, you know, you, I might think you're a little obnoxious. You might think, hey, you're a lot obnoxious. It don't matter. We're, we're family, okay? We all, we all have that uncle, okay? He walks into the house, and we're like, oh, no, uncle so-and-so's here, you know? I hope I didn't bring money, any friends. And um, 
um, we got to love each other. Okay? And um, anytime you think, man, I just, this guy gets on my nerves. You think you didn't get on God's nerves? Um, it wasn't like you were, uh, you were really spiritually uh, a powerhouse when Jesus saved you or saved me. Uh, but we're family. We're the bride of Christ, and it's, we're built. The church is built on the foundation of Jesus, the apostles, and prophets. That's why we have to build our church on the word of God. Okay, um, if this pulpit, if from this pulpit we no longer preach God's word, okay, God's truth, uh, then that's probably time for you to find another church. We've got to build it on the word of God. It, you know, if we love God, we've got to love his word. God speaks to us in his word. Now look at Galatians Chapter 3, verses 28 and 29, Paul's talking about the church, and he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the church is comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. You know, we like to draw a distinction between this type of Christian and that type. Look, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. The, our spiritual unity with believers should be stronger than our, I mean, I'll be honest, my spiritual family should be stronger than my biological, physical family, my ties with my spiritual family. Now, if my biological family can become part of my spiritual family, that's good too, okay? Um, but, you know, if you're at work, you and another guy, and, uh, and he's a believer too, but he's a Seahawk fan, and then you got two, you got two foul mouth, drunken guys that work with you, party animals who are Raider fans. Even if you're a Raider fan, you should have greater unity with that Seahawk believer, okay? Because let me, I'm, I'm talking to the two or three Raider fans we got here. When we get to heaven, God will straighten out those Seahawk fans. But, uh, but until then, that spiritual unity's got to be stronger, okay? And, and by the way, I don't see this a whole lot. You know, um, you know, sometimes we'll, our unity with other people because of some hobby or something sometimes is stronger than our, our spiritual unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and, uh, and, and it shouldn't be, um, but the church is comprised of Jews and Gentiles. Let me tell you something. Uh, in the church, we only come in one type, okay? We're, we're all red. We're all covered in the blood of the Lord Jesus, okay? And, um, and um, I don't care what ethnic group somebody is from. If you come to the Lord Jesus, you're a new creation in Christ, Okay? And uh, if Jesus can't unite us, nothing can, okay? And uh, now we don't have time to look at it. When you get a chance, read Acts chapter 2, and you'll see that the church began at, on the Feast of Pentecost when Jesus, he had promised the Holy Spirit would come. The Holy Spirit came and baptized the church. And from then on, whoever believes in Jesus uh, gets indwelt with the Holy Spirit, okay, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so that's what makes us different from the Old Testament saints who were part of God's assembly, okay? But uh, they were not the church that Jesus was, was instituting, okay? So there is a larger assembly. I hope that's not my phone. But uh, uh, now, so that's the universal church. The local church is just the local assembly of professing believers, See, the universal church is all true believers, 
But I'm hoping and praying that our local church is in an assembly of believers, but I don't know your hearts. Okay? So, you know, you could have members in quote-unquote good standing in a church and not even realize the person is, professes to be a believer but doesn't really believe, isn't really trusting in Jesus from the heart, okay? And um, now sometimes the overflow from the heart, you can see the fruit of the Spirit in a person's life. Other times you can see the, the deeds of the flesh, willful habitual sin, pretty good indication and that person may claim to be a believer but they're probably not okay um but the the local church is the local assembly of professing believers uh back in the early church house churches were common colossians 4:15 talks about that and uh the uh paul even mentions too aquila and priscilla had a church that met in their house okay um when our church was real little, you know, in 1988, I found that it was like five people. By the grace of God, it grew to 12. Then we became a mega church. We had about 20 people. And then it, uh, we had a lot of military people. A ship would leave, and we'd go from 20 back down to 12. Then up to 20, then back down to 12. And I asked another pastor for advice, a pastor of a, a bigger church. And he said, well, you're not really a church. And uh, so you need to close up shop. And you can join my church, and I'll give you your people as a Sunday school class. And um, and I was like, ouch. Some of the early churches met in the houses, okay? And by the way, you might think, well, I would never go to a house church. That's, that's really wimpy. No, it could be powerful because uh, we're going to go to house churches probably in the near future. And it's not going to be Pastor Phil or Pastor John's decision. <laughs> it's... Uh, it, it, it's probably be the government's decision that uh, when they want to stamp out true Christianity, you know, each church is going to have leadership. Of each church is going to have local church is going to have to make a choice. When the government says you turn your back on Jesus, you deny Jesus. Uh, some Christian leaders are going to say, well, this is a business. We got to keep it afloat and we're going to do what's best for the business. And it's an organization. Others are going to say, no, this is a body, a body of believers, and we're going to serve the Lord Jesus if we have to serve, you know, serve the Lord Jesus and worship him in small groups, in secret, in the home, so be it. The old Soviet Union had a thriving underground church meeting in the homes. And, um, and uh, but the local assemblies, uh, you know, Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, it talks about Paul, uh, uh, Jesus is speaking through the Apostle John to the seven churches of Asia Minor, Church of Ephesus, okay, um, uh, the uh, Church of Philadelphia, Laodicea, Thyatira, and there were seven churches, Sardis, Smyrna, seven churches there. They were local churches, and um First uh, Corinthians chapter one verse two, Paul's writing a letter to the church that meets in Corinth. The book of Galatians, he's writing it to the churches, multiple churches that meet in the region of Galatia. So, uh, so you have the universal church, all true believers, and then the local church, local churches, which are assemblies of professing believers. Okay. And uh, now the church in Israel, uh, look at Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there's a distinction there because that physical nation, that biological nation, okay, that chosen nation 
That was the, 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 the Jews, okay? That was the Jewish nation, the Israelites, okay? Um, and so they were physical seeds, physical uh, sons and daughters of Abraham. But Jesus said that through them, all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And those are the spiritual children of Abraham. And so Paul makes that clear in, uh, in Galatians chapter 3. Look at Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So he's saying to be a really true son of Abraham, not just a physical son of Abraham, you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, the non-Jews, by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. He even goes on to say in the book of Galatians that God said that we would be blessed through Abraham's offspring. Literally, it's Abraham's seed. And Paul says, because seed is... Uh, singular, it's ultimately referring to Jesus. Not seeds, but seed. So in Jesus, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So we are all spiritual. If you are a Gentile, okay? Uh, in fact, look at Romans 8. I mean, no, Romans 2, verses 28 and 29. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, Paul says this, Romans 2, 28 and 29, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So what Paul is saying is, yeah, you know, Paul will acknowledge, he acknowledges it later on in this letter in Romans 9. Yeah, if you're a physical descendant of Abraham, okay, you are outwardly a Jew. But unless you trust in Jesus for salvation, you're not inwardly a Jew. See, inward circumcision rather than physical outward circumcision, spiritual circumcision is regeneration. It's the new birth, okay? And so if you have been born again by trusting in Jesus for salvation, you are a son or a daughter of Abraham through faith in Christ. That makes you a true Jew, a spiritual Jew. But the physical Jews... Uh, they're only physical Jews unless they also trust in Jesus for salvation. Then they get saved and they're spiritual Jews as well. Now, I will say this. There's still a distinction between the church and the Jews in that Jew and Gentile make up one church, okay? But if you're a Jewish believer, my understanding of the scriptures God has promised you in the millennial kingdom a piece, of, a piece of land in Israel, okay? God didn't promise Phil Fernand as a Gentile, half Portuguese, half Italian. God didn't promise me a piece of land in the Holy Land. So when I reign with Christ, I'll be lucky, lucky to get a block in Newark, New Jersey, okay? All I know is I just want to be there with my king, okay? So... Um, and, and God hasn't promised to, in the, in the end times when all nations invade America, which might happen with the kind of leaders we got, 
Um, uh, God never promised, oh, don't worry, I'll rescue you, America. He did promise that to Israel. When all nations invade Jerusalem, Zechariah 14, then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. And, uh, and so keep in mind, physical seed of Abraham is the Jewish nation. That doesn't guarantee salvation. They have to also become spiritual Jews. Whether you're a Jew or Gentile, you got to become a spiritual Jew, and that's all true believers, and that is what the church is, both Jew and Gentile. Now, I think we're going to pick it up there next week because we're going to next week we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper and water baptism and the church offices and, and things of that sort. So we'll spend one more week on the doctrine of the church, but we're going to receive the Lord's Supper right now. And um, I'm telling you, if you're the two church ordinances, you know, we disagree with our, our Roman Catholic friends. They have like seven sacraments. We believe in two church ordinances, the Lord's Supper and water baptism. When you get saved, you need to get water baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then on a regular basis, if you are the people of God, if you are in the assembly of Christ, if you are in the church, you need to join together in remembrance of Jesus' death on the cross, that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. And so we celebrate Christ's death and resurrection until he returns in glory to take his stand upon the earth. So when we receive the Lord's Supper today, don't just say, well, I'm just going through the motions. No. Remember Caesarea Philippi. Remember the headquarters of Pan. I mean, Caesarea Philippi, Mount Hermon, uh, according to ancient Jewish writings, that's where the sons of God, high-ranking angels, came down and took bodily form and uh, started deceiving the, the nations and, uh, and produced a race uh, of giants, the demonic Nephilim. This is, like, this is like the most demonic stuff that occurred. Jesus went right there to the gates of Hades and declared war on Satan and his minions uh, through the church. So basically... Water baptism, you said, hey, look, Lord, King Jesus, I signed up. I'm in your army. The Lord's Supper, you're repeating that time and time again, saying I'll never, ever forget that King Jesus had his body broken for me and his blood shed for me, and I will fight in his army. I'll be a warrior for Christ until that day when he takes his stand upon the earth.